you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, we'll be reading verses 22 through 33 in a moment. Uh, before we begin, Danny sort of set off a little, a, a little thought that I wanted to share with you, um, and it was a, a thought anchored in gratitude uh, to Kathleen, to Danny, uh, to all of you who, one way or the other, have sort of made your way out and about in the neighborhood and through these cookouts and through a long and persistent process of building relationships with so many of our neighbors have invited uh, many new faces into different facets of church life, many new spirits into our watch care, and many new servants at work in the world, in Jesus' name and for his sake. And that is an extraordinary thing. Uh, I have been there and back again this week. Some of you may remember Bailey uh, Burling, now Bailey Brashears, who stayed with us one summer. About four years ago, she was a nanny uh, for our children that summer, and she spent the summer here at Yates and dearly loves this congregation. Uh, she, Bailey was married on Friday night in an outdoor service in Texas um, where it never got below about 100 degrees. So it, it was a very enjoyable trip. It was a great celebration with Bailey. Um, however, just sort of there and back again, arrived back Saturday uh, and made my way here to get a few things prepared for this morning. As I made my way out of the office, uh, one of the children, one of our new friends, uh, was riding his bike, I think rather expectantly uh, looking for somebody at the church to talk to. And he saw me and came over on his bike and, and he said these wonderful words. He said, where's Danny? And I said, well, he's not here. He said, but I know you. I know you. Do you know how good that makes a pastor feel when a child in the neighborhood can look up the street and point to this campus and say, I know them. They're for me. There's a place for me there. If there's one little visionary piece I want us to hang on to. It is that sense that whoever is in this sphere of influence, whether it's local or global, can look to Yates Baptist Church and say, I've got a place there. God has created space for me there. And we can welcome each and every one with love, celebrating the grace that binds us together that Ted shared so beautifully. Thank you, Watson. I wanted to share that with you because I was really touched. We sat on the curb for a while and talked. He had a pocket full of fake teeth. And, you know, some were fangs and some were buck teeth and some were kind of monster teeth. And, and he wanted to show them all to me. And I had all the time in the world. As we hear these words of Scripture today, they tell a familiar story. I'm reading from the New International Version translation today, and I usually don't deviate from the, the translations as they're offered because the people that serve on these committees have forgotten more scholarship, biblical scholarship, than I will ever learn in my lifetime. I don't think I can do better than how these committees have come together and conveyed an ancient Greek text into our modern lives and our ears and our hearts. And it's always good to have multiple translations around just so you can hear the choices they've made to bring these words to us. But I cannot read this story without calling an audible. 
and rendering my own translation at a key point. For me, the entire story turns in a new way. So as you're following along, you may hear in my reading a slightly different rendering, and maybe it will impact you as well. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Remember, he's just fed the multitudes. That's my parenthetical notation. That's not in the scripture. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, I am. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. May God bless the reading and the hearing of the word today. Well, as we reflect together on this powerful story today, I want to do it in a sense in two parts. I think there are two distinct viewpoints that we might be able to imagine ourselves into to some degree or other. And the first is the familiar point of view, and that is the point of view of the disciples huddled together on a boat that floats, but it's kind of weak in the face of all that is confronting it. The wind, the waves, the current, everything is pushing against its progress. And so there they are, all together, huddled in the little boat, not getting anywhere they imagined they should be and where they know Jesus wants them to be. I think we can put ourselves in that point of view pretty quickly. There's another point of view, though, and we have to take a little step back and a little step over, perhaps, to imagine Jesus' point of view of this story from the mountain. What does Jesus see? The disciples see the wind, the waves, everything they're afraid of, and everything that's going wrong. What does Jesus see? It might help us to take a step back, all the way back, in your Bibles to the very beginning of things, back in the book of Genesis. You may remember in 2018, there was a live stream of the Coast Guard's frying pan tower webcam as Hurricane Florence was arriving. I was riveted to that broadcast because over time you'd see little waves, you'd see the, the flag start to, to move a bit under the power of the wind. But eventually, 
it was a relentless, relentless force making its way to land. And over those hours, we saw the raw power of the storm moving across the sea, and it foreshadowed so much of the, destin- uh, the devastation that eventually would come because of Hurricane Florence. It was just raw power. It was chaos. And I thought to myself, as I watched the frying pan tower webcam until it went fuzzy, and wondering how our reading, even of the story of creation at Genesis, might be different if we held that image and those roaring freight train winds in our minds. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And that biblical picture of the beginning of things is of disorganization and uncertainty. It's a disordered collection of stuff. Everything, says the Scripture, formless, empty. And those words that are translated from the Hebrew suggest things like confusion and emptiness, waste even. Everything we find is shrouded in darkness. But then Genesis tells us how God changes everything. Creation happens because God's Spirit was moving. That translation is very elusive too. It's a fun word study if you just sort of Google all the different translations of that verse trying to capture what it is the Spirit of God was actually doing in those moments. So some say the Spirit of God was moving. Others say hovering. Some say sweeping. Some say brooding, studying, fluttering, examining, lingering. And when the time is right, God takes action and sets boundaries and calls forth order and purpose from all that chaos. God says, let there be light, and light illumines things. Shows the difference between the darkness and the light, and God is pleased. God brings land from the raging water, stable ground in the midst of all the relentless churning seas, and this is good too. Day after day, God sets boundaries, establishes order in the chaos, life in all its diversity, finally humankind, and God surveys all that God has made and declares it all very good. It's creation. It's an active work of God as the Spirit moves, hovers, flutters, broods, studies, and moves across the chaos of the waters in the deep. When the Apostle Paul tried to articulate to the Roman church what it is we live in, in this time, after the resurrection, before God finally gets everything God wants out of this world in Jesus Christ. He describes it as creation as well. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that God did not stop remaking us after our first breath. God did not stop creating when we made our first decision for Christ, or when we made our first mistake. In Romans, we hear how God brings organization to our disorganization and certainty to our uncertainty, order to our chaos. God brings life where we can only see death. For those who are lost, God gives a roadmap 
For those who are empty, God fills them with purpose. And when we choose it, our darkness is banished as we walk in the light of God's grace and of God's love. His words. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought to the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Only a man would in any way try to help us all understand what childbirth is. I've seen it, never felt it, but it seems pretty painful. The pains of childbirth to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. That's a very wordy explanation. But I hope you can hear the language of creation that is drawn out in what Jesus is doing as well. And that is good news for us when life feels mostly like chaos. There was a particularly low point in my own journey a few years ago, uh, a low point as a dad and a low point as a husband when I just felt incapable of meeting all of the expectations and the demands that were upon me. And it was the counsel of a friend, a church friend here in this church. You all pastor me more than you know. It was Felicia. Spoiler alert. She said, embrace the chaos. Sometimes you just have to embrace the chaos. Think about your own life. Does chaos describe some facet or all of it? Probably so. Before I got married, when I was a young person, I could go out with friends whenever I wanted. I'd go to school. I was trying to start my life, start my career on my own. I didn't have much time to sleep, but it did not matter because how much sleep did I really need in my 20s? But now I see that young people face challenges and obstacles that I never imagined were even confronting me at that time. They have all the information in the world transmitted to the palms of their hands in their phones and have precious little guidance in how to read or understand or comprehend all that has come to them. And so the path forward you know, for a good education, or the path forward for meaningful relationships, the path forward to sort of moving into a career, all of that is anything but clear-cut. I really think it is harder to be young now than it was when I was young. I think it's true. But you can pick your life stage if you don't identify as a young person anymore. Maybe you got married. Maybe you're trying to work together and grow together as a household with your spouse. Maybe your family grows in that time. You don't have a whole lot of time and money, but there are diapers, there are feedings, there's at least one who refuses to sleep at any given point in time. And all that sleep that you might have neglected earlier, well, now it's unavailable to you. 
There's homework, there's school, there's everything that requires attention that you never really prepared for. And I have found myself personally sort of giving back into the temptation of the pre-pandemic experience of overscheduling and just living as a cook and a chauffeur and a counselor and a disciplinarian and all the rest. But middle age has its own chaos as well. You've worked hard. Maybe you can reap some of the fruit of those labors, but you have a lot of responsibilities to people who are kind of over you. And you also have a lot of responsibilities to people that you supervise. You might hold membership in different organizations. Maybe, if you're lucky, you have a hobby. But over and over again, I've heard folks describe how church becomes somewhat transactional, functional in this time. Maybe you're active in church. You're in a Bible study. You're singing in the choir. But everyone wants you to serve on a committee. And every time you wake up and go to work or come to church or go through the course of your day, you start asking that question over again. Is this all there is? Is this my life? Really? I can't wait till I retire. Then I'll have all the freedom in the world. Can I get an amen? Oh, <laughs> okay. Okay, retirees, let's talk about retirement for a minute. You're busier than you ever were before. Everyone in retirement thinks that they're now free to do all of the things that they want to do, but now everyone sees you as free to do everything they want you to do. I'm guilty of it this week. Free childcare in Fredericksburg, I took my children there. Having trouble with a home repair, they call you mom, they call you dad, whatever it may be. Things keep changing, your body is changing, your mind is changing, your spirit changes. Sometimes it's growing, sometimes in the wrong directions. Sometimes it's degrading. Your friends die. And you see your life as more threat than potential. Every step that you take there's, there's a bit more worry about what you don't know, about what you can't control. We know the untamed sea. We know the chaos of it. And you never, ever outgrow it. All of creation groans, says Paul. Groans up until the present time. And at the heart of this story today is a simple and profound declaration. Where there is that chaos... There is God. And that's the first thing you need to know. You are not alone in the chaos. And you don't have to get there to be with God. God comes to you. To be with you. Yes, the disciples have each other. They've got a boat. It floats. But there's no denying now they're under stress. I remember reading an article in the New York Times. It was in May, I think, of the pandemic. In May of 2020. And it was describing the uptick in reports of supernatural experiences by those who were living in quarantine. There were many people who were experiencing disembodied voices and shadowy figures, misbehaving electronics, invisible cats that would show up and cozy up on their couches. They would feel caresses on their hands or on their bodies when they were alone in quarantine all by themselves. Many were genuinely scared. The article says some people actually appreciated the company. But the disciples now, from their point of view, here in the stress, in the setback, 
in the chaos, in the wind, and in the waves. As Jesus approaches them, they believe him to be a ghost. And this isn't a happy-go-lucky sort of Casper ghost. Neither is this a ghost with a sort of happy ending, maybe like Charles Dickens. This is the sort of ghost that foretells your own death. Phantasm is the Greek word, powerful word. Things are so bad, I'm seeing the dead. It means I'm going to join them. It's a picture of fear at its most visceral. As they look out, all they can see is that which they fear the most, their own end. I want to talk about ghosts just for a minute. I have a therapist friend of mine who sometimes talks about the spaces we move into as haunted houses. And I came to what was at that time a 137, 136-year-old church. We have ministers who have been on staff for over 30 years. We have legacy and families and connections and saints and activities and actions and decisions that preceded me and they will surely live on past me. He said, man, you moved into a haunted house. All those faces, all those voices. Maybe when you get married, you naively think that you are uniting with one other person when you realize actually what I'm doing is uniting to an entire body of family relationships and personal relationships that are coming into focus right here in my life. And you've moved into a haunted house. But probably the most enduring, ongoing, and persistent place where we inhabit a haunted house is right up here and right in here. When we're confronted with the ghosts of our own lives, I'll tell you about some of mine. Some are from my past, the things that I've done, the things that I haven't done, the things I'm guilty about, my disappointments, my regrets, all the self-criticism, the second-guessing, you should have done this, you could have done that. All those ghosts of worry and anxiety that sometimes keep me awake, imagining that the worst is happening and wondering, what if I had done this? What if I had said that? For those of us who have loved and lost, the ghost of grief looms ever larger. Our self-reflection and growth and change sometimes gets lost because we know that in order to embrace something new, we have to let go of something old, and we are haunted by what we have released or what we have turned our back on. If we go just based on what we see, we're just like those disciples in the story right before. I've only got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus, who sees that as an amazing deposit on the kingdom of God, is seen as a shortfall, a gap, a diminished resource in the hands of these disciples. These are the ghosts that confront us. And the disciples can only see in fear what lies ahead of them. If we remember that we're not alone in the chaos, that's not the end of the good news. Jesus comes to us. That's part of the good news. And it's not a ghost who comes to you in those times. the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the authentication of the promise of God's 
ongoing presence with us in Jesus Christ. The same reason God went to work in creation in Genesis 1 was to create space for life to thrive and fulfill the purposes that God had for this world. But that's just the beginning of a long story that unfolds in relationship with God, a relationship that we can share with God, a relationship that we can share with all of God's creation. God spares nothing. God doesn't even spare his own son to accomplish this goal. And so when our lives grow aimless, when a thousand things call for your attention, when there's no time now for you to think about what it is you want to do, much less what God wants you to do, understand that God is calling forth in you and in us together a place of peace. In the presence of Jesus, the winds grow still. Even while the waves are still crashing, God provides that space for you to abide and thrive. If I've got your attention, you may be asking, when, <laughs> right? When is that going to be? This is the great and amazing news of the gospel. God has already done it. God has already done it. There's only one thing that brings order out of our chaos that allows us to confront those things we fear the most and move through them. And that is trusting that in Jesus Christ, God has done it. And it is in that place of trust, rooted in an assurance that we are never alone, that God's Spirit continues to move and hover and sweep and brood and study and flutter and examine and linger over all those untamed parts of our lives. Peace is being spoken in and will abide in times like this. The book of Hebrews talks about that mature trust, that mature faith as an anchor for our souls. And it holds us fast in the relentless hope that as the people of God, no matter what cross currents or winds or waves may threaten to drive us from our God-given purpose, we can trust that God has done it in Jesus and we don't need to keep verifying this. We can take him at his word. If you grew up in a church like I did, you might remember an old hymn. Uh, it seems to have bearing. Jesus calls us, or the tumult of our life's wild, restless sea. Day by day, his sweet voice soundeth, saying, Christian, follow me. When your world is formless, when it's empty, when you're swamped and overwhelmed, when all you can see are the things you fear the most, remember that God takes that chaos and calls order out of it. God treads upon it straight to the center of your being in order that that relationship of love may be strengthened, a love that nothing in all of creation could ever sever. It is through Jesus Christ our Lord that he has done it. And it's in Jesus that he will do it again. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus calls us by thy mercy. Savior, may we hear thy call. 
give our hearts to thine obedience. Serve and love thee best of all. Amen. As Mary Martha leads us in this time of reflection, it is an invitation for you to share your gifts, practice your generosity, sharing your commitment materially with God through this church. And for some, it may be a call to take another step, perhaps a first step to begin following Jesus, to commit your life to him and to trust in the way I tried to describe today. And through the waters of baptism, then be born into this family in a way that is ever growing and more committed. Perhaps you made a promise to Jesus a long time ago and you need to return to that promise now. You need to take a step forward and become a part of this congregation as a member, a part of its mission and its future. Or perhaps there's a special calling out in the world, and whatever it may be, you need this congregation's help to fulfill it. Whatever that may be, whatever that response need be, I encourage you, as Mary Martha leads us, to offer your yes to God. If it's something you need to share with this congregation, I'll be at the front to receive you, and I'll proudly present you to this congregation today.